Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the generic podcast. We talk about everything horror, science fiction, sometimes fantasy. gentlemen welcome to another episode of the generic podcast where we talk about everything horror science fiction and sometimes fantasy on today's show we have vincent midgard you may know him from the dark mind podcast and if you don't go ahead and check out the show notes down below and give the show a listen vincent how are you doing today i'm good thank you for having me oh yeah man i was super excited about this you know because just went through season one like i breezed through your first season and then there's i I guess it's part of that uh binge culture i try not to do it too much but it's like when you have to like wait every single week a new episode which is nice you know because it builds up the anticipation Mm -hmm. Um, and i feel like sometimes especially like with uh with tv shows and everything it's like you sit down and you watch the whole thing and then you're just like oh crap like i just I started in the morning and now it's the next morning kind of thing. <laughs> um, it happens. So tell us a little about yourself before we get like really into um, the show and everything that you have. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, kind of how you got into the genre that you do. All right. Well, I am, like you said, Vincent Medgard. I am the host slash producer of the Dark Mind podcast. Uh The podcast is a narrative fiction audio drama. So narrative fiction in the sense that it's me telling a story, uh, audio drama in the sense that I break it up into scenes and add sound effects, uh, musical score, all that. Uh, The stories that I have been and will continue to deal with uh, have to do with um, the darker aspects of human consciousness, psychology, uh, philosophy, the occult. Uh, and I, the stories I, I try to release them. I have so far, uh, in nine episodes, each episode, about 5,000 words a piece. Um, and, uh, so a, a complete story falls within the length of a novella. And, uh, I try to release them every one to two weeks, give or take, and they're, available on every platform known to man so they're not hard to find um as far as uh starting out doing podcasting i initially was doing the best the best category i could come up with it was um come up for it was a uh, uh, documentary uh but basically what they were was expositions on real uh strange topics like i did one on Psy phenomena, and then I did one on uh, the Church of Satan. My mind's kind of failing me because it was so long ago. But anyway, I um, I stopped doing that because when you're using other people's source material to kind of produce like this informative exposition, there's certain ways that you have to cite the material, and I could not, for the life of me, find anything anybody else that was kind of doing what 
kind of doing that to, you know, see how they were listing the source material or if they had like a work cited in the, um, in the description of the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I decided I'd always wanted to write a novel, but you know, my brain just doesn't, I don't have the focus to kind (laughs) of sit in for that long to complete it. Uh, But I guess, I guess in my, my older age, I kind of settled down a bit, a bit and can uh, focus a little more. So uh, I decided to just kind of give a, give a shot at writing fiction and doing a, um, first it just, it was just a narrative fiction podcast, but then I started listening to other people like um, Dr. No Sleep, um, Creeps McPasta, I think his name is, uh, but I noticed Dr. No Sleep kind of turned his narrative fiction into an audio drama with sound effects and musical score. So I started uh, experimenting with that and found that to be a lot of fun. So um, that's kind of what I've been doing for the past uh, two seasons. So with the with the audio and everything, because that's always something that I find is particularly interesting the way people source that stuff right because there's some people who make everything on their own and then you have people like me who like I have no I mean I have like musical talent but not when it comes to like making things uh, digitally actually mm. like play them out um, and yeah the instruments are super expensive <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm just you know I don't I don't have the the room or the money to put stuff like that in my apartment so mm. uh, for me uh, sourcing, the music is always the the better option but then it's like you get caught up in all the different um services that they have and some of them it's just like it almost seems more expensive to have the service than it does to uh, make your own music so with all the different music and sound effects that you have because like that's one of like the driving things in the two seasons that you have so far um is the the between the music the choice of music that you have and then the sound effects they really work to like elevate your your episodic podcast to that next level mm-hmm. uh, so how do you go about sourcing um you know the the different sound effects and music and has that changed since the beginning of like the the onset of when you started podcasting or Basically, what I do as far as sourcing is I subscribe to a uh, service called Soundstripe. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where I get most of my stuff. But I'll find that every once in a while, there is a sound effect that I cannot find. So I'll go over to to uh, Audio Jungle. Mm-hmm. And as far as sound effects, they, they pretty much, I, I've never uh, hit a brick wall searching with them uh with regard to finding a sound effect so yeah the uh most of the music most of the sound effects are are from the subscription service and then i kind of if there's some something that eludes me i'll go over to uh, audio jungle and find it and um basically like i kind of in the beginning just as i was going along what's you know notice oh this would be a you know a good place to uh put a sound effect you know a door opening uh somebody getting punched somebody falling something like that but now i'm a little bit more deliberate i will um once i get the uh audio and the uh music set everything broken up into scenes then i will actually print my script out and i'll just go over it with a pen and see what i have and i'll just 
make notations, insert here, insert here, and then I'll go back with my script and go through that and add the individual effects. So with scripting, because this is, this is a big thing that I think a lot of people miss uh, with podcasts, especially when you're doing episodic stuff. Um, and like you said, you're, you know, you're doing that kind of uh, novella length Mm-hmm. for your episodes and a lot of people i feel like they they miss the fact that a lot of it is scripted in a certain way mm-hmm. so when you first started and you were you're writing out your podcast so do was it this pretty much like the same way that you're doing now with your with your documentaries when you were doing the research and and going through all that um mm-hmm. what you're doing now or yeah, I mean, other than writing fiction is a lot more fun, <laughs> you know, as it's as it's springing yeah. from the creative mind, uh, you know, doing the documentary was just pouring over source material and and trying to uh, write down a, a, a coherent exposition of, of some arcane topic that, you know, is interesting. But mm-hmm. writing fiction is definitely more fun. Um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty much if you look at um, a fiction script um as opposed to one of my documentary scripts i've got it pretty much broken down the same way i uh uh i double space every sentence so that you know every sentence is is like this um you know i don't move on to to the next sentence until till i've got um the first one down you know I, i'm not flooding any words uh, or at least to the best of my ability. Sometimes I just go over and over and over and I just can't get something right. So I'll use the best one, but uh, for the most part. And so when you're, when you're, so when you're coming up with these stories, uh, so you have, you said you have two of them so far, but I'm, I'm going to guess that you have quite a few more. Mm. At what point do you actually start writing them? Like, do you, do you plan everything out in your head first? And then jot everything down and see what kind of works and doesn't, or are you just like full on? I'm going to plan the whole thing out. Oh no, uh, I don't see. I've tried doing that in the past, especially when I was uh, wanting to write a novel. Mm-hmm. I've tried to do the full beginning to end outline, and to me, that just induced writer's block. Like mm-hmm. I just I, I don't know where to go. You know, <laughs> so I read a book. Uh, I read a book by Dean Wesley Smith called Writing into the Dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've ever read it or not, but it's... Uh, Got to put it on my list. <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, It's not very long. It's a very quick read. Uh, he's. It's a very uh, nuts and bolts, no filler, um, uh, how-to book on how to write without an outline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically what I do, uh, you know, is... I mean. Uh, the the way the story ends is just as interesting to me as it is to the person listening because I don't know how it's going to end until I get to that episode. Mm. Uh, I just kind of flesh out like um, you know what the concept's going to be, what who it's about, kind of what their backstory is, and what their struggle is going to be, and then from there, just you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, planning, and I, I I had talked about this in in a, a few episodes before this. But planning to me, because I'm very much a pantser. So like if I'm going to sit down and write something, I think about it probably for like a week or two and then I'll just sit down and write. But I never have an idea of like where the middle section is going to take me. Like I have an idea of the end. I have an idea of the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I think the the hardest thing is, is like you're saying, you know, 
when you plan it's almost is it's almost like if you come to a roadblock it's just like well i don't really know where else to go because this is where i want the story to go and when mm-hmm. i feel like when you're planning you don't have that kind of mobility to to like kind of switch and and sway around certain kind of mm-hmm. obstacles if they don't make any sense also if you have it plotted out to the end you will write uh towards that end very deliberately and it's more likely that your audience will know exactly where it's going because you know exactly where it's going and you're, you know, you're writing it along the way. One of the things that uh, that book I was uh, telling you about, Dean Wesley Smith says, is that uh, if you know the ending, your audience is going to know the ending. But if you don't, you know, the person that's writing it doesn't even know the ending. There's no way the audience is going to know the ending. Right. So I, I, that's one of the most salient points i got out of that book yeah i could i could definitely see how that would work i mean it's it's hard to leave especially like if you were going to write um you know some of the stuff that you write where there are a lot of different kinds of twists and turns so by the time you get to the end it's like oh well shit like i didn't i didn't see that coming you know it gets Mm. broadsided with it neither did i (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like writing, writing stuff where it's like, you know, the ending, I feel like it leaves a little bit more of uh, a limiter, you know, not only as far as the creative freedom that you have, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you already know the ending, I mean, you could do some pretty wild stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, but then it's just kind of like doing this weird balloon thing where it's like you have the string, right? You're going up and then you have like this creative bubble, but then like it all has to come to to an end and it's just like well you already know yeah it's gonna happen so it's like yeah you know it's like i got a i got a red balloon tied to like a five inch string so it's like mm-hmm. you know now i know what my whole story is so but when you don't know especially like sometimes uh i like writing where i just think of what happens in the middle mm-hmm. and then I've, I've tried writing some like shorter stories where i, I sit down and i'm like okay this has to happen at some point during the story but like in the middle before mm. like all of like the major ascending action mm. and that can be kind of fun just like you, you don't know where it's beginning and then you don't know where it's ending and then you just go back and take notes mm. uh, so with the different kinds of writing uh especially like with the two stories that you have so far uh they're quite different you know one is one is a little bit more um on like the the darker side of like the emotional scale and then the other one it is like i felt like it was a very much like a newer age bonnie and clyde kind of thing meets like natural born killers and yeah little something else Mm -hmm. um so when you're writing these because you said you so you don't you don't plan when you're writing these but how how do you approach the stories uh when you're getting these characters together like how do you um, identify like the main theme of what you want to tell in in those nine episodes um honestly i don't really have a good explanation for that i'm i'm kind of well not kind of i am i'm definitely an introvert uh so i mean i'm inside my my own head all day long so (laughs) the 
the things that go on in my head that, uh, you know, morph into these storylines, I, I, I couldn't exactly tell you where they come from. Um, the, I guess, uh, lack of empathy, um, you know, uh, my, my interest is in reading as far as nonfiction is, you know, uh, psychology, philosophy, uh, the darker aspects of, of human consciousness. So I've always wanted to write uh, a story about a psychopath. Uh, I've always had like a, an interest in serial killers, um, you know, cause like I love horror movies, me and my uh, girlfriend love watching horror movies, but I particularly like the ones about serial killers because I don't really believe in ghosts and monsters but you know, those guys actually exist. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> uh, uh, lack of empathy, you know, that, that was just something that I've always wanted to write. Um, I've always had that, uh, idea sitting, sitting in my head as far as a story. Uh, the first one, I don't know, I guess I I've always, um, found that dark emotional, you know, the, um, the, uh, public servant that's succumbed to alcoholism neo-noir uh darkness i've always uh enjoyed that as well so i guess probably the ideas for the first two are just these um these uh archetypal characters that i i grew up loving yeah um yeah so you said that you, you do like watching uh different kinds of horror movies as well mm -hmm. so what uh what if any are there any influences from different kinds of horror movies that have put in some inspiration to the characters you write, or is it completely separate? Well, the, I like horror movies, uh, you know, just for the enjoyment of being scared. Um, as far as the, the psychology or the uh, inspiration, I guess, to write these particular characters would probably come more from uh, more transgressive fiction, mm -hmm. like in in the realm of movies like Lars von Trier, uh, Gaspar Noé, Julia de Cornell. Um, so I don't know that I get so much uh, inspiration from any particular horror movie. It's more the uh, the transgressive, like French extremism uh, type of movies. And so when, when did you, so like growing, like thinking about like when you were growing up, when did you start to get into those kinds of films and like realize that uh, that sort of psychology was something that you were interested in? Well, probably the first, you're talking about movies, right? Yeah. Be yeah. Between uh, films and then like other kinds of things that okay. uh, found along the way. Well, probably the first movie was American Psycho mm -hmm. because I, I watched that movie thinking, oh, it's just going to be like the serial killer movie. And then I watched it and it's, you know, I, I didn't even know it was based on a novel by Brett Easton Ellis, which when I found that out, obviously just devoured. But uh, I watched that movie. I was like, you know, it's just this. It's yeah, the guy is a psycho psychopath. Yeah, he he uh, murders uh, people, but the psychology, the, the, the dark introspective, you know, horror of his psychology just explained throughout the movie. 
and his ob- obsessive detail to um, to material things, you know, like accenting his narcissism. Like I, that just blew me away. I was like, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And I, I couldn't even put a um, a uh, a descriptive word on what I just saw until, you know, uh, when did American Psycho come out? I don't know. I don't I don't think the the Internet was very, very large back then. So it wasn't until much later that I could really uh, delve into the uh, the author and his background and all that. So uh, and find out that there was a thing called transgressive fiction. And uh, I started reading um, who was the guy that wrote uh, Clockwork Orange? His name escapes me. Oh, um, I can look it up. Yeah, I read I read his book, uh, Crash, I believe it was called the 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 folks that like to have sex and then time in a car and time the car crashing right as they're having an orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, Anthony Burgess. Yeah, Anthony Burgess. I mean, getting in a car crash and having an orgasm at the same time, you know, that's kind of like a it's a a good statement. Yeah. <laughs> how, how it works, you know. Just, yeah. Uh and and like uh Lars von Trier describes his his films, he's like, when you watch my film, I want it to be like a pebble, uh, a pebble in your shoe, you know, just make you really uncomfortable. <laughs> And and actually, uh, Gaspar Noé in Irreversible, which um, is you know got the the notorious uh, God, I think it's like a nine minute rape scene in it. Mm. Um, he actually used, I forget what type of wave it is. Uh, you know what binaural beats are, right? Yeah, like yeah, stuff that people listen to to like fall asleep or to yeah. Well, so there's. I think there's five different binaural beats. There's, you know, like theta, beta, and alpha waves, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And one of those particular ones makes you extremely anxious. And so he had that pulsing in the background of the soundtrack to the movie. Yeah, it's pretty <clears throat> impressive. Uh, like looking at films and the different audio scores that people will use and sometimes like you're watching something and there'll be like a little click like um oh what movie interstellar did that i don't know if you've seen that movie uh yeah so the when they get on the planet that's like the they're looking for that guy or whatever and the waves are coming in uh there's like a little ticking sound and I had no idea until I went back and started like looking at all the different music and like how he com- he composes it. Um, I think I think it was Zimmerman. And uh, they had a conversation before they went down to the planet, and they were talking about how, uh, you know, every so many minutes down there is going to be so many years back in the in the spaceship because of the the time mm-hmm. distortion. And so there's these little ticks throughout that musical composition piece. Uh, and those ticks are the minutes and it's the, it's the time passing. And so when he gets stuff like that, where it's like, you know, you know, they're going to use a binaural beat uh, to induce that kind of anxious feeling, or there's mm-hmm. something where they're telling you, um, you know, they're giving you a cue like, yeah, the time is 
going to be different. And then they give you that audio cue and it's like in your subconscious, your subconscious is going to pick it up, but mm-hmm. you watching it, you don't ever pick that up until you go back. And then you're like, Oh, like that's mm-hmm. why I felt anxious during that scene or like, yeah, it's kind of like a, the, and I don't know if this was like a, a true thing or not, it, but um, when they had, the movie theaters and maybe they still do this when you go to the movies theaters and they used to have the um, subliminal messages where they would like flash coca-cola on the screen yeah i don't i don't really find that ethical but i guess yeah uh, <laughs> i guess it's legal i don't know if they still do it or not yeah i, ha- I have no idea if that <laughs> i mean when you think about it marketing is black magic you know yeah if, if you've ever you, you know uh watched the psychology behind how they you know i got a um a book by a guy um, imagine reading this book by uh, Nick Kalenda. He's uh, apparently a mentalist. I've never seen his mentalist act, but he's got a few books out and uh, the uh, imagine reading this book. It's all about all these tricks that are used on a day-to-day basis in uh, advertising to draw you into clicking on something or looking at something, you know, kind of like um a pop-up window comes up and says, click here for 20% off. Mm -hmm. uh, And you either click that button or the other button says, no, I don't want to save any money. You know, it's like this assault on your senses. Like, well, I do want to save money. No, wait, they're trying to con me, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I think one of the biggest ones, especially online, and I know pretty much everybody listening has has seen this before, where you go on a, a website, like say, like even on Instagram now, I get these a lot and you get this company that you've never seen before mm-hmm. and their, their whole like persona of like what they're, they're, they're trying to um, get across to everyone is that they're going out of business and everything is on a, yeah a, a super steep sale. And you're like, I, I've never even. It's been going out of business for five years. Right. <laughs> uh, there's actually been a couple couple groups uh, that I've messaged before. Well, I'll see them on there and they're selling something. Mm-hmm. And they switch their name, but like the IP address is still the same. And I'm like, you literally are just, you're selling the same thing, but you changed the, the business name. Like you're not, you're not fooling anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, I guess as far as things like, um, um, you know, sliding a a picture of something into a frame at a movie, I guess they don't really even need to do that anymore with the way they, uh, you know, monitor the content you view, they can just use that information to generate exactly what ads you need to see or or what you'd be more likely to be interested in. So yeah, they've gotten more high tech. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the that's the 1984 stuff coming out you know mm-hmm. it's uh especially now it's like uh you know it's like the, the the whole conspiracy with like the alexa devices and all that other kind of stuff yeah uh, you know i've been in meetings before and like a, and we'll have an alexa device there and it will randomly start looking things up and like giving us information during our meetings and i'm like mm-hmm. Can you stop listening? Like, (laughs) what are you doing? No one even. (laughs) I I did not address you, Alexa. (laughs) No, yeah, and then and then even like the the cell phone, uh, like like when you're using your cell phone and uh, maybe it's like you look you look something up like a you know maybe just like browsing through, 
Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if it picks up the audio or what, but there's been times where like, I'm not even particularly searching for anything. And I'm like, oh man, like I, I would, you know, love to get, you know, like a, a new, like lower receiver for like one of my rifles or like, I want to like really try out this new video game or something. And then, and I'm not even like 10 minutes later, I'm getting like lambasted with all these different kinds. Mm -hmm. of Yeah. What the hell? You show any interest, you've opened Pandora's box. It's coming yeah. at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you'll love these. <laughs> so the, so one of the things that I found uh, interesting as, as far as like between the, between this conversation when when you brought up uh, American Psycho, and then all the different stuff with um, you know diff- different kinds of consumerism and everything, uh, one of like the biggest things in American Psycho was just how well um, all the different products were kind of like picked apart, and now like the mm-hmm. people are picked apart into. Um, you know, they're like things. Yeah. Uh, same as the products. Uh, and so in your second season, lack of empathy, uh, when you're, when your characters are, especially the, the main character, when, when he's looking at everything, he, it, I got a lot of that same feeling where it's yeah. like, it's like, I'm not really, I'm not sad about anything. You know, when he's explaining when something doesn't go his way, yeah. he doesn't really get super upset or sad or anything he's just kind of like okay well now i have to figure out what the next thing is Hmm. but i kind of got that same feeling where it's like everything is not so much like a commodity um or or a um, consumer product Mm -hmm. but it's that same kind of feeling of everything is just a thing right yeah To, to amuse him so that's like a huge part of psychology uh, and i was wondering if you could just get into that now that you you've gone through that um second season and wrapped everything up what is some of like the psychology behind the character uh, in that that you found uh really drives him yeah well i'm kind of uh the the title itself lack of empathy you know the reason we've been able to <clears throat> survive as a species is because at some point we evolved the trait of empathy and, uh, you know, I'm able to put myself in somebody else's position uh, if I was sexually assaulted or if I was stabbed or if my uh, belongings were stolen or, uh, you know, my mate was taken from me, I, that would feel bad. So therefore, I'm not going to do that to somebody else. Right. Uh, a psychopath does not have empathy. So things exactly as you said, uh, people are things and commodities. The um, you know you've got three parts to your brain: the primate brain, the mammalian brain, and the reptilian brain. The reptilian brain is all your base desires, feed or breed. Uh, your um, mammalian brain is where awareness and uh, emotion uh, come into play. Empathy. Um, and then the primate brain is where abstract thought comes. So you have a base desire in your reptilian brain. Uh, it's the way you go about getting your base desire is evaluated by your mammalian brain. You know, is this ethical? What's the best way to go about this? And then you go up to the primate brain and figure out how to do it. Well, a psychopath doesn't have that middle, uh, regulation just goes straight from reptilian brain to how do I get what I want? 
Uh, so yeah, anytime he was describing a woman, it was purely physical. Uh, he, any, it, basically any, <laughs> anytime, maybe other than, uh, Claudia who he admired because of her physique, which was still physical, basically anybody else though, in the, in the series, uh, he, he kind of had, uh, disdain for, uh, you know, uh, I read that psychopaths can feel obviously anger, uh, but but they don't uh, they don't have a real dramatic emotional response, which is why they're able to keep control. Uh, they don't. There's really nothing that they fear. Um, they can do. You know, I, I don't know if you've. Well, I'm positive you've seen uh, uh, the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, you remember when they are describing uh, um, Dr. Chilton is telling Clarice about why, you know, this is why we um, adhere to such strict security measures. And he tells her about um, uh, Hannibal Lecter biting that woman's face off. Right. And he was connected to an EKG and he says his pulse never got above 85, even when he ate her tongue. You know, that's. Right. That's apparently a real trait of a psychopath. They do intense, dangerous stuff like that and feel like their, you know, pulse doesn't even get, you know, their heart rate doesn't even increase. Right. So rush just isn't there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as far as the psychology of, uh, Michael, um, you know, uh, anger, but controlled, um, very calculating, very narcissistic. That's, probably the the most um driving uh uh trait that a, a psychopath has is mm-hmm. uh narcissism uh just a um a obsessive almost erotic fixation on themselves yeah um you know he he liked to look at himself naked a lot <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah he's got he's got the uh he's got their uh, the recording that, that, mm-hmm. that was actually a really interesting way to, to both end and start an episode mm-hmm. with the recording. Narcissistic people have a hard time passing a mirror. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it only makes sense that, uh, that uh, beyond that to the realm of the psychopath, he would want, um, you know, actual video of him committing these acts. And it's also, he, he was also driven by social Darwinism, you know, the survival of the fittest. Right. So he didn't really, he didn't really, besides considering people commodities or objects, he actually um, felt justified mm-hmm. uh, in what he did because he was at, in his eyes, he was at the top of the food chain. It right. was his right. You know, he was entitled to that. So yeah. I mean, that's kind of like when, uh, you know, I mean, like he finds his dog and, uh, he's not so he's he's not even really angry that like you know he lost the dog as a companion and it's like i put all this work into this guard dog and like it yeah anything yeah it's like a a person like like you or i would find a dog and be like oh man like yeah not only did i put the time in, yeah but my best friend is dead right (laughs) (laughs) so i'm I'm wondering then because um you know like going to the whole thing in the mirror and this is something that I had wondered when um, I had watched uh, American Psycho first, probably like the first two or three times. 
is do they also view themselves as an object, but it's just a perfect object compared to everything else? Or is there some sort of self that is not only elevated, but it is considered separate from the rest of the things? Well, yeah, I think there, I mean, definitely that, uh, you know, not being a psychopath myself, I can only speculate, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I imagine that I would imagine that they view humanity as just another animal, maybe much more dangerous because we've evolved this self-aware consciousness that allows us to do things that are against nature, like develop medications that make us live longer or, you know, uh, make us, you know, uh, build things like vehicles that make us go faster than we're supposed to. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would imagine uh, they view themselves and humanity as, and that, you know, all, all people, all animals are not created equal. And they probably feel like through some, you know, just genetic jackpot that uh, they were born a more powerful animal than the rest. Mm -hmm. So with the, with the way that you set everything up, it's pretty easy, which is another reason I really like uh, your show is I can kind of see where he is as far as the, the scenes go and like what's going on. It's not just like a, a pale, um, you know, like I stepped out of my car and, and there's like a gas station, you know, like you mm -hmm. go into more detail about what his surroundings are like. And when people do a really good job uh, describing scenery, I'm always curious if there's uh, different significant places that they've based certain things off of, or was, is it just like completely um, creative work? In that yeah. It's a, it is based on real places, but it's actually kind of a, uh, amalgamation of different places like, uh, Michael's house, there's parts of it based on, um, based on one house in that I have real life experience with, but then the dining room is from a different house that I have experience with and the facility thought of the house like he lived he lived in a, a large house with the uh or excuse me not a not his house uh nikki and stanley's house had the large pillars out front mm -hmm. uh you know the the that's that's based on uh, a house that i uh looked up on an architecture website mm -hmm. and then you know the rest of the house is something completely different so uh, physical places, even the city of St. Finan is an amalgamation of different places. Uh, and, you know, the uh, St. Finan actually is the name of a street in a neighborhood that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. uh, I just remember that street in particular being the marker for uh, a place where my friend lived because when, you know, when we were young, we walked everywhere. And he lived on this long ass street that, and all the houses looked the same. And I knew where his house was because it was right on the corner of St. Finnan. <laughs> it's kind of crazy <laughs> thinking about, uh, you know, when we were younger and I don't know if this is something that is still a thing nowadays, especially, you know, they have all the different scooters and whatever the hell else they have. Uh, but thinking back, like when I was younger, yeah, like I would walk everywhere. Um, 
And I remember that there was one time in particular I had uh, one of my buddies lived pretty, maybe like a mile or so. It wasn't, it wasn't too far, but it was, it was far enough uh, that it would, you know, it's going to take a little bit for a little kid to get there. I remember like calling him to see if he wanted to hang out. And then uh, I just wound up like walking there and I don't know what the hell he did, but like uh, I, I got to his house and he was just like, how the hell did you get here so fast? I was like, oh man, you know, I just walked. And like, you know, I mean, depending on where you live, I mean, a lot of times, like if I go, if I went to New York city, uh-huh. other times that I'm there, I, just, I would just walk. You're not going to drive there. Same thing with like Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unless you want to put yourself through that stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't deal with traffic. I, I can only imagine what it's like in those gigantic metropolitan areas. Yeah. I mean, well here in Austin, it, it's, it's kind of crazy. Cause it's so, so I grew up in, uh, in Western Mass, and pretty much everything there has like really good walkability. Mm-hmm. So um, now it's like I don't really want to walk anywhere, you know. But it's like instead of maybe a quarter mile or a mile away that I would have to walk to something, and then you know I could start walking around and everything. Um, the walkability here is like I have to walk maybe six or seven miles, if not more, before I get to somewhere and then i still would have to like it's not like everything is is like super condensed where you can walk around and enjoy yourself um it's like weird little pockets so <laughs> yeah my uh my girlfriend and i took a road trip out there not too long ago and uh we uh i forget where it was. we parked in some parking garage so we could go walk around the Capitol. and i think it was i think it was triple digit heat that year <laughs> I was in flip-flops. I thought my flip-flops were going to turn to tar on my feet. Yeah, it can, it can get pretty brutal. And especially like right around the capital area too, because it's it's super hilly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. The- flip-flops were not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> we had to stop in a museum. We paid to get into a museum just so we could get in the AC for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's it's... It can get pretty brutal. I mean, I move, I move down because of the heat, right? That's like one thing that people um, are kind of like, oh, well, you're from, you're from Massachusetts. So like, you got to love the winter. I was like, no, I hate it. You know, like Mm -hmm. if I I have to go to work or something and I have an hour, but there's a blizzard and like the roads are still open because people are just used to that. And they, you know, your boss is like, are you coming in? And it's just like, Mm -hmm. I can't even I can't even like see out of my driveway like no <laughs> like, I'm not, like I do not want to deal with this so that that's always been I guess uh sort of kind of like a big fear of mine is like opening up or not even opening up like a, a window or anything like that but just like waking up and realizing that like the blizzard's so bad that your whole house is just buried in snow oh yeah <laughs> yeah my uh my uh, uh mother is from Canada Mm-hmm. and so you know when we visited family growing up it was always in the summer but one year she was like i just want you guys to experience a canadian winter one year <laughs> so we went out there negative 30 it was just <laughs> it was like wow yeah no i i understand why you moved moved us down here yeah it's kind of like if there was there's two extremes that i've i've always thought of that i don't no I, I don't know that anybody has done this maybe maybe uh you would know but i've never seen 
a movie where a serial killer is living somewhere where it's either extremely hot or extremely mm-hmm. like cold and wintry and the main facet of how they're able to pull off what they pulled off is because of the weather you know like if it was like down here like you were saying and it's like super mm-hmm. hot you know like what if they were just like chasing someone but like they just don't care about how hot it is like it just doesn't affect them the same way i don't know, I if don't that's know. Like a thing but like I, I would assume that there's probably got to be some sort of uh physical defect where like the cot and the cold don't react to you the same way yeah i'm curious to know uh what the weather was like when jack the ripper was was uh because i mean doesn't i've I've been i've been to london and it was you know during the winter and it gets cold but Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know what it's like any of the rest of the seasons if it's if it stays on the cold side up on the upper end or i don't know be interesting to know when his uh when his reign of terror was what the weather was like right especially especially then um i feel like now people can get away with a lot more mm-hmm. uh, even though there's more like surveillance and things like that and it's like if you know you know what you're looking for like with michael like he knows um all the different kinds of like ins and outs of, of how the tech and everything is working and mm-hmm. you know um like when he's waiting for uh, his victim to go in into the into the bathroom so he can knock him out, and it's yeah. just like those kinds of things where it's like you're thinking about it, but it's like with with Jack the Ripper, I kind of feel like serial killers during that time they must have had to either take advantage of the surroundings, right? Because I feel like people might have been a little bit more alert because they're they're used to that kind of thing where like yeah you probably get jumped and like no one's gonna know unless you're prepared for it well i mean i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say like is he like sneaking through like is it like super foggy or something and he's like sneaking through the fog and that's how he's getting his victims or does he just like you know because some of them like they they found the bodies just in like the middle of the road yeah well actually for him uh he was he was uh his stomping ground was ideal conditions because he was in the uh the east end which was like the red light district right where all of the you know um i don't know if they had like sexual oriented businesses but that's where all the prostitutes hung out and if if i'm not mistaken mistaken pretty much all of his victims were prostitutes so a a man uh dressed up to where his identity was kind of concealed you know uh acting a little sketchy approaching a woman and then walking off with her alone is kind of what happened in that area you know i'm sure there was men cheating on their wives that didn't want to be recognized and they approach a prostitute and then they sneak off somewhere so i mean that's it's not going to raise i'm sure it didn't raise any eyebrows because that's just what happened in that area but uh you know his his uh reasoning was not for uh sex but <laughs> for yeah. some some pretty intense uh a different kind of dabbing act. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he, he he liked a party yeah you know hey i mean and i, I don't think like, he didn't he never did anything with any of them like i guess but i mean they didn't really have forensics back then either so mm-hmm. they probably would have been able to catch him if they, if they did but yeah um so with a lot of the different 
like going back to like when you're when you're recording your episodes all right and you have so you have your script you have all these um sound effects that you want to use and everything how how long does it take you to put each episode together and like i know you don't you don't um plan the story too much but do you do you just go from like the beginning of when you wrote each episode to the end or like there are different kinds of facets that you use throughout to create the episode um well i mean it's a uh the script is written before I start recording. Um, so that usually takes, depending on what's going on, um, usually takes about maybe three days or so. Uh, you know, sometimes I get really, um, really uh, consumed with it. And, you know, I have my, uh, my uh, word process, uh, excuse me, word processor, uh, cloud synced from my laptop to my phone. So I'll be at the gym writing in between sets on my phone. <laughs> so sometimes I can knock it out pretty quick if I'm really consumed with it. And uh, writing Michael's character is a lot of fun. So I was pretty consumed with most of it. Um, and then once I have the uh, script written, um, I'll usually start, you know, I'll wake up, drink some coffee on my day off and I'll start probably eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I'm taking breaks for lunch. I'm walking the dog. Uh, I'll usually probably be finished with it for the most part, uh, that night, but, uh, I won't go back and look for mistakes or master the volume or anything like that. I'll sleep on it because, because by that point I've been so consumed with every tiny detail that my brain is fried and I will see things that sound good, uh, as sounding bad and, you know, vice versa, just it, my, my mind is too skewed at that point to objectively review it. So I'll sleep, wake up fresh in the morning. And then, you know, the first couple of hours of the morning, I'll just, uh, tweak things here and there, get the volume adjusted and then, uh, upload it so with the volume adjusting and going through all the different like uh audio corrections is that something that you had done prior uh in, in, as far as like as much depth as you have with your seasons or is that something that you kind of had to learn along the way well, when I was younger, I used to mess around with DJing. I like, you know, I didn't like DJ parties or anything like that, but I had uh, a set of turntables because I like to, uh, to mix music and make stuff to listen to for my friends and for myself. So I knew, I knew the difference between uh, channel volume and master volume and, and how that goes together. But uh, my God, I, I had to enroll in YouTube University and learn <laughs> the difference between signal, channel volume, master volume, loudness normalization. You know, like I didn't know what a luff was. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's that's been a learning process. I uh, I was checking the audio on a recent podcast on YouTube, mm -hmm. which I normally do because it doesn't affect my my stats. Uh, from the RSS feed um, and it finished and I wasn't paying attention and it rolled to another episode of like of um, embrace the dissonance like one of the early ones mm 
And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> the audio, the audio is so different, <laughs> you know, but it's like the, the entire way, you know, I've like, I've discovered a new EQ plugin. Um, I've discovered, uh, you know, a plugin that, that, uh, eliminates the, the mouth clicks. Cause I have, um, I have a real issue saliva getting caught in my throat when I make a K sound yeah. and, and, uh, making a pop. And when that pop goes through a compressed vocal, it amplifies it like a thousand fold. So it sounds like an ember popping in a fire. <laughs> so I searched all around. I was like, is there anything I could do about this? Cause I, I just can't stand it. And there's actually a plugin that eliminates that. So okay. the audio has just kind of progressively gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. My, my audio skills are, are nowhere near that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think at some point, you know, I'm going to have to, to get on and start doing uh more research but unfortunately uh so i'm in my in my last year of college and uh one of the jokes that i always make is that you know i'm in school for um, creative writing and film mm -hmm. uh, the concentration in fiction writing and i think it's hilarious that it's like so it's like i'm doing you know it's like i'm doing this podcast um I'm trying to like review things uh, as I watch them and read them, but that's, that's going pretty terrible. Uh, <laughs> but the, the majority of it is like, you know, it's like, I want to do all these things that I'm going to school for to learn how to do these things, but I just, I don't have, I don't have the time to do them because I'm learning how to do them. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. Like the, just the, beginning points of uh podcasting and then uh like streaming uh, every now and then like I'll, I'll try my hand at streaming uh video games I'll, I'll probably start up again i always stop during the middle of uh the winter season because down here we have uh cedar mm -hmm. they have something called cedar fever so i just get super sick so i'm just coughing and sneezing and it looks like somebody just came in my house and beat the shit out of me <laughs> Fluffy and everything. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just not going to stream during the winter. <laughs> but yeah, like the between like, you know, podcasting and streaming, and I think pretty much just any kind of creative form, there's a lot of research that it's like if you're not, if you're not actively participating in whatever activity that is, it's it doesn't seem like much on the outside, right? especially with uh like going on instagram and you'll see people that are looking at you know people's different kind of like art projects you know whether it's like sculpting um or like they're voice actors or something and they're like oh well why is everything so expensive it's like because they had to it's like not not everything is just school you know it's like all the other mm. research that you have to put into it mm. uh, and so so like if <laughs> like if somebody asked me to to do um, the kind of audio um, leveling that you're talking about, I, I I would have to do the same thing and just hop on YouTube and be like, well, my homework for the next month or so is just yeah. learning out how all this stuff goes. You can find a lot of shortcuts, though. There's so much there's so much software that that really replaces a lot of, you know, like there there's a plugin I use to. Uh, to uh, adapt for the adaptive leveling, uh, volume leveling of my voice that normally only 
uh, a skilled audio engineer could do sitting at a soundboard writing a fader but now it's just a computer program you know so uh it's not as hard as you might think um putting it together is a little hard i'm still working on that uh but uh you know it's like it's like i have i have ways of doing complicated things but i just don't have them arranged correctly i'm i'm working on that kind of stacking them together just to just perfectly yeah i mean it's always a, a a learning experience and there's always some kind of new learning curve especially when they come out with new patches which is something that i really like as opposed to you know when we were younger and there you know there either was no internet um or when it did come out you know it's not like anything like what we can do now mm-hmm. um but so when you when you're putting all this stuff together right because it, it sounds like it's a pretty lengthy process mm-hmm. how so if your episode say if your episode is like an hour or so long how many hours have you actually put into that episode oh let's see so the final episode this last one was 52 minutes uh i would say i guess if you subtract you know the dog walks and lunch and stuff like that maybe about Hmm. somewhere between between 10 and 12 hours yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you know what i enjoy every freaking minute of it i don't (laughs) i don't know uh what my uh obsession is with uh you know this uh this tech tweaking Mm-hmm. but i just i love getting into the minutiae and the details of 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 all that stuff yeah well it's like a at least for me it's i feel like it's more of like a, a multi a multi-level thing right because i haven't mm-hmm. gotten into you know i i just i get on here and i talk to people uh, uh-huh. but i don't i don't have anything that i've recorded and put out um you know as a show or anything but I mean, I've played around with it before and I've, and I've gone on and uh, especially for school, sometimes that's how I'll, I'll write my papers is I'll like, I'll perform it for myself. And then I just, I, so I have two different laptops um, and one of them I use for stuff like this. And then the other one I use for school um, and I put like a transcriber on um, the one that I use for school. So sometimes I'll record myself, uh-huh. I'll get everything sounding right. And then I'll just hit play and then on my other one i turn on the transcriber and it like reads the whole <laughs> it just yeah. down everything for me so i don't have i can just go back and do like quick edits uh-huh. which is probably like just a long tedious way of doing things but you know my that's how my adhd brain works it's like mm-hmm. uh but yeah like just like sitting down and listening to like like so like you were talking about how you have like the little pop sounds that just kind of get out of proportion mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but going back and like editing all that stuff, I can definitely see how, uh, you know, that 10 to 12 hour chunk might not seem like a long time, uh, especially like with these episodes, I'll go and I'll, I'll start editing or um, playing around with levels and I get out, you know, I'm like, okay, like I'm all set for the day and it seems like it's like a half an hour and it's like two uh-huh. or three hours has gone by and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> all right like that you know i think i think if it was the other way around right where you start mm-hmm. editing and you're 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 learning how to uh, adapt things into your craft and and how they 
fit together. You know, if you sat down for a half an hour and it's just the opposite where that mm-hmm. half hour feels like it's 12 hours versus, mm-hmm. you know, the other way around, I think that's when it's kind of like a warning sign of like, you might want to switch something up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's been a few times where I wasn't able to start, you know, real early in the morning and I look at the clock, I'm like, oh my God, it's midnight. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not good. I need to... uh I need to regulate my sleep, but I don't want to go to sleep yet because I have like literally 10 minutes left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like when you're reading a really good book and you're like, man, mm-hmm. I got other things to do, but yeah. I just have like one more chapter and I'm done with this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you when you come close to uh completing something that you feel like is going well, you're kind of all jacked up, you know, like you're feeling that the the creative energy and you don't yeah. you don't want to like stopping and and going to sleep is just doesn't seem <laughs> uh rational so with uh with making these characters right so speaking of things that like don't seem rational um when you so when you're writing this the script for these characters has there ever been a point where you write something and you're like that doesn't seem like it's rational to that character and you just have to go back and like yes write a chunk well actually it happened to me once i mean that does happen to me but there was one time in particular that it happened and i didn't realize it until the episode was already corded and uploaded mm-hmm. and i was writing the next one i was like wait a minute oh <laughs> my god this doesn't make any sense and what it was was um uh Michael was recalling, uh, I forget which scene it was with Nikki, but he was recalling seeing Nikki and recalling her physical appearance. Mm -hmm. And I noticed in the, in the episode that was already recorded and uploaded, he had never described her eyes, Mm. which when, you know, if you're narcissistic and you're describing somebody's physical appearance obsessively, how are you going to miss the eyes? Right. So I had to come up with something. I was like, okay, why does he not remember what color her eyes were? You know? And then that's kind of how I came up with, oh, one's red or excuse me, one's green, one's blue. She's, she's got chimerism. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to literally make that make sense. Cause uh, you know uh, if you're waiting till the end of a novel, uh, you can correct stuff like that, but if you're just uploading it piece by piece, sometimes when it's sent out there, I mean, I guess I could go back and edit that in, but it just seemed a little, seemed like a, 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 a cheap way of doing it. So I tried to come up with something interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a really good point that you, you bring up there as far as, um, you know, writing and crafting stories, um, and then just, you know, not wanting to be in that creative roadblock where it's like you plan everything out. And it's like kudos to all the people that somehow their brain works that way. Mm-hmm. They can plan everything out. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of an enigma to me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, Dan Brown, you know, the guy from uh, that did uh, the Lost Symbol, the Da Vinci Code, all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure because of all of the detail, uh, you know, historical facts and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure he's a, a, a very uh, thorough outliner. I could be wrong, but uh, I would I, be I w- if that was not the case. Yeah, 
yeah. yeah I just knew all that stuff and wrote it down and it was coherent. Like, yeah okay. <laughs> I, but i'm from what i've read the more literary writers none of them write with an outline uh hemingway cormac mccarthy faulkner um there's a few others i can't think of no yeah <laughs> what's that it's no outline yeah vague idea of where you're starting yeah yeah and it's so funny too like when you when you sit down and you talk with other people and you, and you realize that it's like there's it seems like there are less people out there that plan the way you're you're taught in school right so like mm-hmm. even from you know first grade when they start talking about um you know you're going to tell a story so we got to plan it out so there's always this idea of like structure and sometimes the structure is what hinders us because you know it's like everybody is saying oh you have to have you have to have this foundation right so it's like you're making a a, safe like you're an architect and you're making a building you know if you just have that rigid planning and and outline structure all your buildings are just going to be square buildings and yeah stories you know versus I read a book. Uh, it was written by a literary agent called the Mar- I think it's called the Marshall Plan for novel writing. And my God, it is like he had it down to. I mean, I think the 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 one that most people follow. It was in can't remember if it, uh, Plato, Aristotle, one of his one of his works. Anyway, the uh, the archetypal journey, the hero's journey, I guess. Um, you know, it starts with the beginning, uh, the middle, and there's a uh, denouement, and then the climax. You know, there's like these broad parts that it's that uh, a novel's supposed to consist of, and then he within that chopped it into the like way smaller bits. Like he went from macro to micro, yeah. and I was reading it, it was like, man, this just doesn't seem like any fun at all (laughs) and it's it's like the the joseph campbell but like even more defined yeah yeah i mean i think joseph campbell was right about uh you know the hero's journey being this common archetype that uh people write but um uh this guy was was uh turning it into a uh a structure that you have to follow. Otherwise you're not going to get published, which I don't know, maybe that's the truth when it comes to like uh, bestsellers or something like that. Maybe the general public wants it a certain way, but um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem, doesn't seem like much fun. seems like a, a cookie cutter way of. That's kind of how like the, the music industry, I feel a lot of that goes that way. Like, I mean, I kind of bias, like the majority of the music that I listen to is either uh, electronica or like, you know, super heavy metal or like metal core uh-huh. like that. But from like the, the brief amount of uh, music theory that I've taken, it's like, you know, I'll go I'll go online and I see these videos where people are like, it's amazing like these two songs like they they go together and it's like well how do they go together and you know and it's like well they're the same time signature uh and the composition is almost the exact same as far as how it's set up you know the same amount of layers uh-huh. vocals coming at the same time so it's all it's all very mathematical and it's like they fit together not because they're really trying to make music that is different they want to make music that is 
technically is all the same it just hits on different genres so you could have something that's like a country song that fits together with um you know like a rock pop like a pop punk song or something like that and they fit together mm-hmm. because it's literally that that same kind of formula and it's, it's like when you get the you know the singers or the the um compositionists that come out with something that's slightly different it's sometimes it's harder for them to get picked up because they're not following that same format so they're like uh-huh. well, you know we can't sell this music because you know it doesn't apply to this crowd and they're not gonna like you know subconsciously yeah. they're not gonna enjoy it as much i think yeah i don't know <laughs> when you, when you, you get nitty-gritty like that you know it's... well you talk about uh different music and time signatures one of the more recent musical developments that i've really gotten into is uh you know i I, like you i like uh hard hitting uh stuff like metalcore um do you listen to any gent metal at all yeah periphery gent um and like math metal yes yeah yeah you talk you talk about four four time signature i don't they don't know what that means like i could not describe (laughs) a periphery song's time signature i don't even know what that would be yeah there's this group uh I think they're called Polyphena. I, I could mm-hmm. saying it wrong, um, but they're the level of complexity. It's I feel like when I'm listening to their tracks, I could listen to like I could go back and listen to just the bassist, mm-hmm. and then I could go back and listen to just the drums or just oh yeah the the guitar, and it's like they're all different. They're all mm. running at different time signatures and maybe like, you know, like the drums is usually driving that time signature, mm. uh, but it's broken up in a different way. So it's like, if you're listening to it, um, especially when you come out with albums that tell songs that like Coheed and Camera is really well known for that. I'm not mm. the biggest fan, but it's like, as far as um, groups that do that, when they tell these like elaborate stories, uh, I kind of feel like some of the more um, gent and and like math metal groups that that come out and make these albums, I feel sometimes like listening to it that they are telling a story. I just have no idea what the hell they're talking about because they're time well, you know so funky. The music is so amazing itself that I, I listen to the uh, the instrumental gent bands as well, like uh, animals uh, animals as leaders. You oh, yeah. listen to them. Yep. Oh my God. Watching them live too. Like I I've watched drum playthroughs by their, uh, drummer, Matt. Yeah. And then of course, just watch the entire production with their, you know, they've got two guitarists with what seven string guitars, I think. Yeah. yeah seven, just, seven. I think, did they use a nine string at one point? I think they uh, wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. It's just insane. The yeah, technical so- skill. I think a lot of the, the technical skill, um, and I think we're seeing this in a lot more of a creative aspect as well as like, there's a lot of things that we don't uh, think about uh, uh-huh. when, we're, when we're looking at either literature or like buildings or, or music now that um, when people start putting this stuff together, it's like, oh man, like this is different, <laughs> but I like it because of like, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like I, so I've started reading a lot more um, extreme horror. I've had a couple uh, extreme horror guests on here. Uh, Aaron Beauregard 
uh, it was coming up and i had uh i listened to judith sonnet i think right? yeah yeah judith sonnet was on here she was she's amazing i don't even and I, I think it's been every single month this year she has a new book out which mm-hmm. is like i'm just like flabbergasted like how the hell do you do that yeah uh i really admire prolific writers the ones that just like you know uh like what's his name chuck uh chuck polinuk i think he puts out one novel a year like you know one epic novel that ends up you know yeah that's it's i don't know how people do that i mean i guess if i if i had more free time i'm hoping that you know once i'm you know school's out and i have more time uh maybe i'll be able to put a book or two out uh, a year at least to start with all the different kinds of uh things that i have you know just packed up here um mm-hmm. that's one of the the things that's like really good because like you said you're um an introvert and contrary to popular belief uh i am also an introvert mm-hmm. uh so even when i'm trying to sleep i think that's probably when it's like the curse too right between having adhd and then um being an introvert so it's like i have friends that are like they're like oh yeah you know i go to bed in like five minutes and i'm like I lay down and like stories and songs. And oh yeah. Other things that like, as soon just... as you close as it's the three ring circus. Dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it sucks too. Cause like, I'll think yeah. of like, you know, songs that like, I don't even know how to write music. Mm. You know, I can, I can do it by ear, but I don't know how to write it. So like I'll start, uh, I'll start thinking about, you know, some kind of scene that I want to write out for, for something that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge into um, audio, which is why I'm like getting more and more into um, these episodic uh, podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of something and I'm like, already I'm just like, okay, brain, like you got to stop, like, just turn off. Like I need to go to bed. And my brain mm-hmm. is like, but also while you're thinking about this scene, yeah. here's these <laughs> it's like cool music soundtrack to go with it. And I'm like, fuck man. Like, no, <laughs> your mind is not your ally yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like um uh it's kind of like it's weird because when people when you tell somebody you're an introvert they're saying well you don't seem like it because they think being an introvert means you're shy right which you know a lot of introverts are but it, that's not what it means it means you are turned inward mm-hmm. whereas an extrovert is turned outward you know yeah so when you're in your own head it's just like you know it's like this uh, when you're an extrovert, when you leave your friends, you know, that there's no outward stimuli to be concerned with. You can lay down and go to sleep, but your mind is always with you. <laughs> you can't shut it off. Yeah. <laughs> it's also led to some pretty interesting, well, I, I say interesting lightly. They're interesting to me, probably pretty mm-hmm. frightening to other people. Um, so say like I was sitting in, uh, like taking a break uh, from one of the classes that I was taking. We're outside and uh you know so like when you're an introvert a lot of the times like if you if you make friends like you just stick to like certain people right it's not you're not uh you're not going to go out and talk to everybody so I had like my my two friends that I'm sitting there and I'm talking to and then there were like some other people around and I can't remember what like the conversation was or whatever uh but I do remember that I started talking about how um like one of our one of our classmates was like really nervous because she was moving to like some new neighborhood and uh i was like well 
you gotta you gotta watch out for the neighbor down the road and she was like what what are you talking about i was like yeah i was like that neighborhood you know like they have this whole um kind of not like satanistic group <laughs> but it's like <laughs> you know every every so often they got to go around and, and and find a sacrifice you don't want to wind up being the sacrifice you know? <laughs> So just watch out for who you're talking to there. And like my friend is leaning over and she's like, she doesn't know you're joking. Like it's too much too soon. <laughs> and like, to me, I'm just like, I'm introverted. And like, this is the kind of shit that goes yeah. on in my head. And I'm just, yeah, that's normal. And they're like, that's, you uh, don't, people don't think about that, man. <laughs> so, she, she's too busy uh, <laughs> turned outward where things are just kind of uh, 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 normal, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the normal for introverts and the normal yeah. introverts is completely yeah completely different mm-hmm. i don't know have you seen the uh there's a um i guess maybe it was a youtube video or something uh at some point but it's like this old tv show and like these kids are all like they're sitting in like bleachers and they're all like oh come on janice and like, come on chris and like they get up and they're all doing this like weird elaborate song and like there's this one kid in the background who's just like watching them super confused and they're like this uh-huh. is the difference between introverts and extroverts so, <laughs> yeah, that sums it up <laughs> god uh so speaking of like some of like the more like introverted kind of stuff so in your first season i caught kind of the feeling uh between the character dynamics that you have there with the, with the main character and then when he gets in with his love interest when they meet there seem to me like I think that's one of the reasons that drew me into the first season is that there is that sense of like introvertedness uh-huh. in that character. And I was wondering, is that something that you did on purpose uh, for that character? Or is that just kind of the way that everything kind of fell into place? Uh, so you're saying uh, that the protagonist, Jesse, uh, kind of connected with Dee because they were both introverts yeah uh, i guess that's just kind of the way uh it fell um i mean i guess subconsciously i intended his love interest to be on the same wavelength as him mm-hmm. uh you know kind of in this uh dark spot but him he's kind of succumbed to the darkness her she still uh she still holds on to some light <clears throat> excuse me so she kind of balances him out but conversely he is in a better position to take care of himself even though he you know ends up with his spoiler alert i'm not going to say his diagnosis but uh he's in more of a um a an independent uh state than she is right so it's like emotionally he's way worse emotionally she's way better uh but I guess his status and being able to take care of himself and being independent is better and hers is not. So um, I don't know. I I guess I was just trying to this, uh, this perfect balance between the two that would draw them together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it really felt like a a kind of like a yin yin and yang kind of thing where like, like you're saying, you know, like he was in a better position to take care of himself versus, versus the way, um, you know she has different kinds of roadblocks but they're kind of they're they're the the difference between them is like they're they're available at different kinds of levels on certain issues right Uh so that's kind of what makes them meld together Uh uh, as characters uh 
which I think is as far as as far as like different kind of like character development goes, it works a lot better when you have that. Um, I don't want to say contrast, but it's it's more just the different the different levels of availability are there, and it's not like you know one of the like one of the bigger tropes that I hate is like when you have the like the enemies become lovers kind of thing. And I think you uh-huh. really only see that in, um, I guess, more like YA um, fantasy kind of style books. Uh-huh. But like, that's one of those dynamics where it's just like, there's there has to be something else besides, you know, one troubled person meets another troubled person and they, they connect, right? Yeah. Uh, and so having that basis... Um, and like understanding of psychology and like how things work and how people um, interact with each other uh, for both seasons, I would say, um, really just helps it and drives that narrative. So it's it's more engaging mm-hmm. um, and the way that they perceive the world around them. Right. Like they're the characters that you have in season one and season two are very like they're separate. They're, uh-huh. they're, there's not any kind of oh, well, like, this person seems a lot like, you know, um, this character. Um, uh-huh. It's all very much separate. Um, so I guess with with understanding that the characters are separate, um, and maybe this isn't something you want to divulge if, if you've thought about it before, but I was wondering, right, with something like this, uh, are they in the same are all these things happening in the same universe or is it like each story is separate? Um, well, I intentionally pick a time period. Let's see. I think, I think without looking it up that I had um, season one taking place in 2015 and season two taking place in 2017. I really don't want to write anything post COVID. <laughs> it's just too depressing i probably will maybe i'll i'll write some dystopian thriller but uh <laughs> it'll be the first book yeah but yeah they're they're pretty much taking place in the same universe um i thought i thought about um trying to change up the location but i, I started reading and um apparently there's some some uh, uh a lot of writers that you know they they have their fictional uh, city or town that things take place in and it yeah. kind of just becomes like their their darling um yeah. and so they write many bur- <clears throat> excuse me write many books that take place in that same universe that same locale and and it seems to work so i was like well i'll just give it a shot see what happens <laughs> yeah i mean as stephen king has castle rock and alan baxter has a uh, gold pepper yeah and I think Joe Joe Hill has like his own little town or something like that too that he writes about. Mm-hmm. I'm not as familiar with Joe Hill. Um, I have a bunch of his books. I just haven't read them yet. It's one of those things where you have, you know, you have the books on the shelf that you're supposed to be reading, and then yeah. you go to the bookstore and you're like, oh, I get some more books to like <laughs> with the books that I'm gonna read at some point. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got at least uh, maybe eight that i need they're just sitting there staring at me yeah <laughs> gotta get on those yeah it's a, it's it's always a challenge right especially i don't know if you're if you're a cover for sucker art or, or for yeah cover a uh, sucker 
for cover art cover art there we go <laughs> a little plung twangler there uh-huh. uh but there's sometimes like i'll go i'll go out and like i'm not even planning on on getting anything and then i'll see a, a, a book and i'm like oh man that looks great and then I yeah buy it. And yeah that's uh that's another bit of uh marketing black magic you see that yeah. book this like just <laughs> man looks that looks more amazing than the story right <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I've had that happen a few times. I I think there's more times where I'll go out because I do this. I do the same thing with beer because um, uh-huh. I, I love drinking craft beer. And like sometimes I'll get something and it doesn't sound great, but the art design looks wonderful. Yeah, they <laughs> they call it craft because it's witchcraft. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's influencing you to do something you wouldn't normally do. Yeah. <laughs> So, so with your, with your stories, right? So you, so you have the first two seasons, how, uh, and I I don't want you, I don't want to like spoil anything, right? I don't need to know um, what they're about or anything, but have you like written more seasons? Are you like super far ahead or? Oh, no, no. Uh, This next episode, uh, or excuse me, this next uh, series, I uh, took me a, took me about three days because I had like a choice a and choice B of the context of this guy's uh, struggle. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't make up my mind, but, but I I think I've come to the conclusion of the best way to approach it. So, you know, having that, then next thing is just start writing. Um, Been pretty busy this weekend doing a lot of stuff. So I think probably later on today, as soon as I uh, get some lunch in me and stuff, I'll, I'll uh, start that. Has there been anything as far as like character development within the last two uh, seasons that you've worked on that you feel will influence this season uh, in, in a stronger, more compelling way than you, in the last two? Or yeah, um, so season one, you know, he obviously had a struggle to overcome. Season two, the main character uh, had a struggle, but he didn't um, he didn't come at it from a point of weakness. He came at it from a point of strength. So uh, this next uh, character, the struggle is going to be he's going to you know, it's going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something that that he has issues with it's not going to you know be something that he's just going to be this cold calculating you know person like michael was but he's not going to come at it from such a point of weakness he's going to be uh more objective like like michael is but you know obviously he's still going to have a soul <laughs> you know he's not going to be a psychopath uh and i i'm i'm kind of excited about it because i could be wrong but I feel like um, the particular struggle that I'm referring to, a lot of people will not have uh, realized was a thing, like not, not have heard about. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's kind of, it's something I found, uh, found out about um, that I had never heard before. And it's, it's uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how to explain it without giving it away, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the people that listened to it had not heard about it before. So have, so out of the three seasons has this upcoming season required more research in that department or kind of about the same amount for each series? Uh, About the same amount. I mean, I I try to, 
uh, write what I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously there's, there's some details I need to research a little bit. Um, you know, I did, uh, uh, I, I had a general handle on psychopathy, uh, but there was a few things I really needed to, to narrow down to make sure I was, you know, I mean, I know fiction is making stuff up, but I like it to be somewhat realistic if I'm talking about a real life um, uh, detail. Uh, so, yeah, um, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering when it's going to get to that point where I'm, where I'm, bleh, where I'm going to have to do some, uh, some serious in-depth research. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, I'm 41 years old, so I've had a, I've had a bit of crazy life experience to draw from. Yeah. So uh, I imagine I have quite a bit for a while, but uh, it may get to a point where the the research is going to become much more in depth. You know, writing anything that's especially either dark and it has to deal with psychology, um, and then just horror in general. You know, like not so much. I mean, like there's, there is research that you have to do into like a more, more splatter punk um, and and gory kind of stuff, especially when you're talking about like movies and you have like the slasher films and everything. Uh, I feel like that's more like, you know, makeup effects kind of stuff. Um, But when you get into the more narrative driven, uh, you know, dark tales, uh, you know, of either, you know, depravity or, you know, some kind of, um, psychological disorder that is feeling somebody's like killing spree uh-huh. you know there's always there's more to that <clears throat> that makes it um you know pretty much just on point with how life is so it's like yeah it's like you do have to do research for different things but then again it's like you know like you're saying you know it's like how much research are you going to do and how much research do you need um to make something fictional right because you don't want to cross that line where it's just like then you're writing about this fictional character that then actually becomes a a a uh, non-fictional character because you you've done so much research and added so much research that it takes the actual persona of somebody that existed which is the opposite of what you want to do um luckily my uh um you know i i read fiction but my um my main interest uh is probably nonfiction as far as you know leisure reading is concerned so i mean that's what the uh subject matter of my uh, stories uh is basically what i read you know uh philosophy psychology um human consciousness so got a lot of uh a lot of material to draw from yeah yeah so it's, that's one of the biggest things is like to keep reading like even if it's outside of the normal, the normal style of reading. That's like, like with the, the, the catchphrase for the show. And I say, and sometimes fantasy, because I don't read a lot of fantasy, um, but I will read science fiction or horror that dips into fantasy, but I won't read too much fantasy unless it's like, um, like I really like looking into all the different kinds of mythology um, from Japan and China and some like the more um, like a lot of the Native American mythology that's out there is, is pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it always in order to create, I feel like people need to um, kind of just like dive into what other people have worked on or, you know, with psychology and philosophy 
where they talk about, you know, how the human brain works or how people react to certain things or what people have noticed throughout time and kind of, you know, they're just like, well, this happens because of, you know, this type of surrounding or these types of people think this way because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And being able to, to jump outside of that comfort zone for a lot of people, I feel, is more beneficial because you get that like rounded experience where, you know, instead of introducing a character simply by like, oh, you know, they walked in and they were 6'2 with, you know, brown wavy hair and uh-huh. like a, a, you know, a crusty t-shirt and dirty jeans or something, you can introduce them and either it's through th- something that they're doing um, or a way that they carry themselves. So like even like introductions and then just how they interact with people is more than just um, that kind of like superficial, this is how they look and what they're doing kind of thing. Uh-huh. So I also, I wanted to get into more kind of like, so if you were talking to somebody who hasn't done anything in podcasting yet and you know they want to get into doing episodic stories like what you're doing, mm-hmm. what is either something that you've learned um, from the start of when you started doing everything, uh, you know, with the documentaries until now uh, that you've learned um, or something that you've learned along the way that is like something that you wish people had told you when you started? Um, Well, you're talking about, you're talking about somebody with no podcasting experience whatsoever. Yeah. Like say like they're just getting into, you know, they're listening to podcasts and there might be those like starting embers in their, in their brain of like, maybe I can do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as far as like, you know, uh, just the actual recording and production, like I said, enroll in YouTube university, <laughs> uh, Buzzsprout has a really good, uh, page that takes you through, you know, all of the basics of, editing, uh, how to use different software, uh, microphones, um, pointers on how to market your podcast. Like, cause for the longest time I just, you know, recorded stuff. It was because of a, um, video I saw on Buzzsprout talking about how you can promote your podcast with, um, Instagram stories. That's the only reason I got on Instagram. I swore off social media like probably eight years ago. So getting back on Instagram was like, all right, I remember how to do some of this. Um, So uh, also if they're doing narrative fiction in particular, one of the most important things that I didn't realize until much later was if you're telling a story, uh, you know, your voice is going to be very dynamic if you're, if you're a good storyteller. Uh, and, uh, you know, my, my voice, uh, I, I try to, uh, uh, keep it pretty dynamic. Um, cause you know, you want to, if you're in a, a scene where somebody's getting murdered or somebody's getting chased, you know, you don't want to just be like, yes. And he was chasing me, you know, just <laughs> monotone. So, uh, if you're telling a story, if you've ever seen somebody that tells a story very well, their voice is very dynamic, which is great. The problem is, is when you're listening to a recording, you want to be able to always hear what they're saying. And if they're going from talking really loud to, and then I was sad, you know, going down very low, 
unless they're, you know, writing the volume uh, the whole time, which nobody wants to do if they're listening to a narrative podcast, they're going to miss pieces of the story. Mm-hmm. So adaptive leveling is what you need for any narrative fiction. There are some uh, uh, editing softwares that have it built in, or you can get a plugin that normalizes it to where your voice is still dynamic. Mm-hmm. But when your voice goes down below the average threshold, it will boost it up uh, as far, uh, you know, it'll, it'll stay, it'll go from zero to positive 12 decibels to raise that up. So you're still hearing the voice going down dynamically, but the volume is being raised so you can still hear it. Mm-hmm. So I would say if, if narrative fiction is what you want to do, you definitely upfront need to make sure you've got you know, some sort of plugin or some sort of software that uh, will uh, adaptively uh, normalize or level the volume. Yeah, I think the voluming and just like understanding how that stuff goes, it can it can go from anything that's like super simple to like insurmountably complex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start going into like you get those like uh, those workstations, you know. Uh-huh. Where it's like they gotta like reach their arms out to like you know get to that one knob or something yeah and move it down a little bit um but i i think to to build off that too um you know there's there's a lot of there's there's a lot of tech that's out there because i remember when i when i was first starting um and i would say that you know i'm still pretty much in my infancy and you know i'm only i think the podcast is nine episodes in come wednesday this this upcoming wednesday yeah, uh, i saw you had the director of slap face yeah i was like damn moving yeah, up man. in the world <laughs> and i you know i'm trying like like you know i tell everybody it's like one of my things it's like i'm trying to be um as diverse with things um and so like so on like that point right i mean there's certain people that i won't reach out to and but there's other people that i, I try to reach out to because it's like i do want it to be um diverse right you know, like i don't want to just have one style like one style of horror or one style of science fiction and i feel like there's a lot of um podcasts out there that feed that kind of stuff to people and there's i have no issue with that you know if they want to focus on just slashers or they want to focus on just uh science fiction i think that stuff is like super great uh but having that kind of um reach where it's just like okay i'm gonna have a movie director on this this time and i'm gonna have a podcaster on i think that kind of helps build um build interest right because you're Mm -hmm. you're not just talking about authors um of a specific genre it's like these are all the things that you can find in horror sci-fi and uh fantasy and different kind of jobs that you could do or different kinds of um you know uh career opportunities that you can start and everything and so, you know, even, you know, even when I w- was talking to uh, Jeremiah Kipp from, from Slapface, you know, one of the things that he says, um, if anybody hasn't listened to that episode, you know, when we get to the end of that episode, you know, he's like, just keep showing up um, and doing what you love. And I think that's one of the, the bigger important things as far as um, for people that are like looking to, to do podcasts, right? Um, you know, like, so you, you said that there's all this different kinds of stuff, right. That people can go and look up. 
um, and like, you know, different like microphones and different kinds of software and different kinds of like engineering programs that you can use to make uh, a podcast. But I think to, to further that and, and to use Jeremiah Kipp's, um, you know, little quote of like, you know, just keep showing up. I think one of the other things that's super important uh, because I had this issue when I was trying to put this podcast together is understanding that yes you're going to go to some of these websites and they're going to have like the craziest kind of most expensive stuff that you can get um, Mm. to do the podcast and I think that um, that might deter some people Mm. but you know like you're saying you know go ahead and, and do the research you know go to youtube university you know and then after a while you're going to start learning that you don't need much to start a podcast um mm. but something like what i'm doing which is not as technical right because the majority of what i'm doing is just going in you know i, I sit down and i talk to somebody and i figure out uh the kinds of things that they like doing and and how they do them versus you know somebody like you who you're telling a story so it's like it has to be it's engaging in a different way right because now Mm -hmm. it's not so much information that's getting relayed you're entertaining Mm -hmm. and so i would say like if i did that yeah like i would i would need you know um you know better software and better equipment to be able to put that kind of stuff together so uh i I would definitely say to think of like the medium as well that people are doing um as Mm -hmm. you're out with like the with like the fiction side of things as far as uh just starting out you know uh i didn't you know start off with expensive equipment i kind of worked my way up but yeah there's you know videos i watched where you can get you know just a a standard microphone package off of amazon um you know you can turn your closet into a recording studio because you're surrounded by clothes that are Oh yeah, I guess you are in a closet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in, I am. I, I'm in my gun keeping closet. Yeah. Okay. Was... Yeah, I, I can't. <laughs> that, that's how observant I am. I just now noticed that. Um, uh, yeah, you know, because you know the clothes or the sound treatment absorbing the sound. Um, uh, you use proper mic technique. You know, um, you can most. Uh, podcast hosts will allow you to uh will host a certain amount of uh time for free like i know i started off with buzzsprout i know i think you can have up to three hours every three months Mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm correct they won't hold it there it'll eventually after 90 days it'll uh get wiped and you'll have to just keep adding to it but um yeah you can you can have your podcast on every directory there is for free if you want uh so yeah there's definitely uh very inexpensive ways you can start and you know if you find out like yeah this is it this i'm I'm not stopping this then you can you know slowly start working your way up oh yeah yeah i mean that's that's big key right it's like when you're starting out no it's like i said you know it depends on what you're doing too but i mean there's always more affordable and uh inexpensive ways to start things off so you know like Mm -hmm. don't like hop on and you know watch one or two youtube videos and be like all right now i gotta go and get you know ninety thousand dollars worth of stuff off yeah (laughs) 
okay like i hope you i mean you can but like i <laughs> hope you make you know make that back and some within the yeah. first couple months because you're gonna get disgruntled quickly <laughs> did you know um you know so after you got everything together did you know that it was going to take so long per each episode or uh no um it uh I, I can't even remember how long it initially uh took me uh it took me quite a while in the beginning because it took a while to get a ha- the hang of it like i would get to the point where um i would realize i made a mistake but i wasn't experienced enough uh using the software that i was like no i'm not tweaking anything because it'll just you know i'll i'll end up moving everything out of place and the, you know i won't be able to get it back together so uh it it took a it, it probably took the same amount of time in the beginning when it was less complicated mm-hmm. as it does now just because of the learning curve of trying to you know get the hang of it period so uh now i just um uh, I, I would just start and uh, occasionally look at the clock and be like, oh, my God, <laughs> the day is gone, but I'm, I'm going to keep going. I want to I want to do this. I want to upload it. Yeah. So as we as we draw into the, the, the closing uh, segment of this, I just want to see if there's anything uh, that you're either excited about uh, coming up this year or if there's anything that you want to plug uh, that you're working on. Uh, well, the, uh, season three, um, you know, I couldn't tell you it should be uploaded in at least the next two weeks, if not, uh, less than that. Um, I, I'm excited about that as with any series. Cause, uh, I don't know <laughs> how it's going to end. I don't know how it's going to progress. It's a surprise to me. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, excited about, uh, hearing this podcast when it's, uh, when it's uh finished um and uh you can pretty much find the podcast anywhere um apple spotify amazon uh youtube deezer uh, just and uh i'm on instagram that's pretty much the only um uh social media i dabble in i i just i tried facebook but i don't know i just didn't like the didn't like the way it was set up so uh yeah uh the dark mind podcast um is the handle on instagram and i think that's about it awesome well ladies and gentlemen once again this is vincent midgard from the dark mind podcast uh go ahead into the show notes and check everything out on there uh we'll have a whole bunch of different links between um his instagram and then uh the, the two different um podcast series that he has on the dark mind podcast so once again uh vincent thanks for coming on the show it's great to have you thank you enjoyed it all right and we'll see you around all right thanks for listening to this episode of the generic podcast if you like what you heard please consider reviewing the show and give it a follow episodes are weekly so you can expect a new episode every wednesday the show is currently available on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Anchor, and Spotify. A lot of topics were discussed in this episode, and I'd love to see what you all learned. As mentioned, you can catch weekly episodes of the Dark Mind Podcast on all the major platforms, and then some. And I've left some links down in the description for those 
who may want to check out some of the sources mentioned in this episode. Be sure to give this show a follow and leave a review on platforms that allow for it. Last week, at the end of the episode, I mentioned a different guest would be on the show. I'd completely forgotten that there were five Wednesdays this month instead of four. So next week, please join me and extreme horror author Aaron Beauregard as we discuss more topics concerning horror and horror literature and how he conducts his work. He had a lot of knowledge to dish out, so make sure to stop by for that. That's all for now, and I hope the rest of your week goes well. Hopefully I'll come back again next week for another episode of the Generic Podcast, where we talk about everything horror, sci-fi, and sometimes fantasy. Until then, keep being the amazing people y'all are.